I'm going to lead us into uh, this morning's sermon scripture reading from the Gospel of Mark 11. And if you're able to, in person or at home, stand one more time for the reading of God's word, and we'll, we'll end it by singing the doxology together. Okay. Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 11 through 25. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. But everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. Came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. If you've ever known anyone with dementia, I know some of you have, both for the person who has it and for their loved ones because you just kind of less and less of them, right? And as things decline, they have a little less control usually. Sometimes they don't even know who they're talking to. Or um, they, 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 they might not even know who they are, and they might not know where they are. My, my, my father-in-law told me a story that has really stayed with me about a woman he knows really well. And she was a phone switchboard operator. And when they would talk, they talked pretty frequently, she would just say, number please, number please, whatever they were talking about, as if uh, she needed to direct the call for someone who had just called into her line. It was something out of her deep past. And at a moment when she had less control, there was just this recall. It was just like on her hard drive. This was the rhythm she knew and it just came out. It wasn't, you know, sometimes nasty things can come out. This is part of the sadness of people with dementia. 
But for her, just something that was embedded in the rhythm of her life, day in, day out, that's what came out when she was talking to someone at the end. And the context was my father on the wall said, and I really respect him for this, he said, if that is going to happen to him, if it's going to happen to him, he wants to do what he can now to influence what comes out then. And that was really something to ponder for me. He wants it to be the word and character of God. The things we rehearse stay on hard drive more than we realize and may come out when we have least control. In other words, what's rooted within is going to bear fruit. The text today, Mark 11. Two, it's really two really strange narratives about the life of Jesus that are brought together. First, Jesus curses a fig tree just because there's no figs on it. What in the world? Why? We're going to get there. And then he walks into the temple and begins flipping over tables. Why? They are pretty crazy narratives. They're a little bit out of the mainstream in terms of Jesus' emotional life. Both are kind of born out of some frustration, right? Here's what's the first thing I want you to see about these two narratives, the fig tree and the temple. I want you to see that they're put next to each other on purpose. The Gospel writer Mark is actually doing this all the time. If you were here with us last year when we started up the Gospel of Mark, he's got this way of putting two events next to each other, and maybe they came right on the heels of each other chronologically. Not always. It's not always the Gospel writer's intent to give a perfect chronological account of the life of Jesus. It's actually stumbling block for a lot of people. need to be. It's not the point often. These two things both did happen in the last week of Jesus' life. But we know Mark is sandwiching them together because he gives a little of the fig tree narrative. Then the temple narrative back to the fig tree point. What's he saying? He's saying, look at these two things together. What's he saying? He's saying, look at the lack of fruit on this fig tree. Then, look at the lack of spiritual fruit in this temple. And what do you think that has to say about the roots of this temple? The hearts of the people within it. The intent that's the purpose of this place. That wasn't its purpose at the beginning, but it's come to become its purpose. And look at the terrible fruit that's coming out of it. What does that have to say about what's really going on in the heart? At the roots. Because spiritual fruit, or lack thereof, is always borne out by the roots by what's really going on in your heart, the embedded stuff, the stuff that we are so good at concealing that will come out. Because Jesus says, he said it already in the Gospel of Mark, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. It's true. And it might even happen in this life when you and I have lost all control and are experiencing dementia ourselves. He speaks a word of judgment against the temple and against the people in it. But then he speaks a word of hope. And this passage really lands on a point of hope. This passage is about hope, but the context for the hope that he speaks is the judgment, 
is the word that things are not okay. Things are not awesome. Things are broken. And they're not just broken externally in the stuff you can see. That tells a, a very shallow story. Things are broken deeply down within. And if you're going to hear a word of hope, you've got to know how bad it is first. You with me? So there's a word of judgment and then the word of hope. And I'm just going to speak to them both briefly. First judgment, then hope. Judgment. Okay. Here's what you need to know about the temple when Jesus walked into it that day. It was gorgeous. It was jaw-dropping gorgeous. Two chapters later, the disciples uh, are looking up at it. There's just this, it feels like even a random moment. The last week of Jesus' life, after this event, the disciples are just staring at it and saying, can you believe how gorgeous this place is? Uh, Herod, King Herod, the last uh, of the Herodian dynasty, actually the second to last, I should say, uh, for a lot of complicated motives and reasons, poured a ton of investment into the Jewish temple to make it look externally beautiful. But the beauty was external only. Jesus came that day into the temple, and even inter- very interestingly in verse 11, the day before, after he's come into his triumphal entry. Stephen preached on it last week. It says he went into the temple and he looked around at everything. There is no wasted word in scripture, by the way. You know, in parchment, which is the cheaper version of these original manuscripts, vellum was way more expensive. But in parchment, to create one copy of the scriptures was something like $5,000. And a lot of the gospels have their length because you needed to stop to fit it all in one roll. There's not a wasted word. He looked around at everything, and he comes back the next day like this, because there's no fruit there. He looked carefully, and he didn't see any fruit. He was looking for wisdom and justice, a place where repentance would be met with forgiveness and peace. That's what the temple is for, a place where God and humanity can come together, and peace can be made through atonement, through sacrifice, and forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed but he found none of that fruit. And actually, there's the same liability with you and me. Is that, of course, of course this is the case. This is like the plot or subplot of like every Disney movie ever. There's external beauty, and then there's what's really going on inside. There's the same liability as there was with the temple, both collectively and individually. There is an excellent book that came out last year by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, she wrote a book called Prayer in the Night, and it's really just about the Compline office, the last office of the day in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, but she wrote just a lot about what she finds in her heart at the end of the day, and she wrote this. A lot of what appears externally beautiful in my life as kindness, patience, or holiness A lot of that stuff is actually just fueled by good health, energy, and simple pleasures. Life going my way. When these things are taken away, it's clear that I am not that kind, and I'm not that patient after all. I just didn't have back pain that day. And that's you and me. In other words, real fruit, the kind you want, comes from healthy roots. Jesus quotes in verse 17, quotes Isaiah 56. What is this house supposed to be for? This temple, what is it supposed to be for? A house of prayer 
for all nations, eventually Gentiles too. There was a court of those who weren't even Jewish who could gather to listen and at some point be converted, not just externally, but on the heart level to enter into the very worshiping space of the Jews. That was its goal, to invite everybody to come and see. Come and see the living God. Find out what he's like. But it's turned into a den of thieves, of buying and selling on the most populated day of the year, the week of the Passover, the beginning of the week of the Passover in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying by flipping over tables, this place is useless and God is not here. Except God was there flipping over tables. And they all want to destroy him for it. And so would we, because we always kill Christ when he threatens the thing that we love most. Or we're always willing to. I don't know if you've ever been a part of an intervention. Uh, somebody confronting you or you being a part of confronting somebody else because there's something in their life that it seems like they're not willing to look at. And they can go well, they can go badly for a lot of reasons. But a lot of the time, let's say, most of the time, the people involved in the intervention for the person who is really maybe a little out of control or maybe a little blind, they're the people who love them most in the world, right? This is at least the ideal, right? People who love you most will maybe circle around you in a safe space and say, we're gonna speak really plainly some hard words that come from a place of love. And that's what this is. This is Jesus's intervention. Let me say, for all the unhealthy ways that criticism may come our way, the healthiest friendships and families both comfort and challenge us. Let me say that again. The healthiest friendships and families both comfort and challenge us. So here's a challenge. However dazzlingly beautiful you are, whatever idealized self you're kind of putting up at the beginning of a new year, as you come up with your resolutions, whatever productivity goals, whatever weight loss goals that you have that are gonna just make that ideal self just come into a perfect, beautiful reality, this is how it works, right? In January, or it's supposed to, but of course it doesn't. But it's still there in our hearts, and we're bowing down to it. Whatever idealized self that you imagine, let's just put that out of our attention for a moment and look at our roots. Look at our hearts for just a second. What's there? What are the loves that are there? Maybe look at your behaviors and follow the path backwards a little bit. What is that fruit manifesting? What are the roots? Even if you don't think you can do anything about it, what's there? What's there? As I prayed, Christ cannot save the perfect person you pretend to be or even reach for yourself. He can save the sinner you are, though. He really can. And from this place of intervention at the temple, 
and in the temple of your heart, which is very much a worshiping space as well, from that place of intervention, Jesus speaks a word of hope. And that's where we're going to land. The word of hope. So the next day, this is in verse 20 and 21, Peter sees the fig tree withered all the way down to its roots. And he still doesn't know what to make of all this. I mean, this took a lot of reflection to get into the disciples' hearts too. But Peter doesn't get it. He doesn't know what to make of this barren tree or this barren temple. And Jesus says this when he says, hey, Rabbi, look, that tree actually has barren roots and no fruit now. Jesus says this. And it seems a little bit out of left field, but just listen. Verse 22 to the end. I'll read it again. Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. What do we make of this? Do you see hope? In these words, some of you read those words and you're like, okay, I got to pray way more. I don't have enough faith. Uh, I'm bad at forgiving. Great. One more reason for me to feel judged when I come to church. Challenge only, no comfort. No, you need both. And actually, I think that these are words of comfort from Jesus Christ. Think about it this way Jesus says, after they look at the poverty of this temple, the the vacancy of God in the house of God. Jesus says this, just have faith, guys. Just have faith. Ask him for anything. See how he forgives and forgive. Believe, ask, forgive. Do you see that these are all things that were supposed to be enacted at the temple, but weren't? Hearing the words of God, having faith, asking him for stuff, praying, Receiving, extending forgiveness. God knows it's not happening in that place, so you all be the house of prayer for all nations. You 12. And the untold multitudes that will learn of your faith and cover all the ends of the earth, you be the house of prayer for all nations. You go do it. In other places, if you know the narrative of the scriptures, Jesus says of himself, he says, I am the temple. I am the place where heaven and earth meet. He's truly God and truly man. He is the place where forgiveness of sins happen. He's the place where all sins are atoned for by the sacrifice of himself. He's the place where God's character and glory and mission are proclaimed to the world. He's like this final and better temple. And what he's saying is, and the New Testament writers after him go bonkers with this point, you become the temple too as you have faith in him. You are the place where heaven and earth meet. You have peace with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. And you have become a people of forgiveness and grace and prayer and faith. You know, it's just such a simple phrase, have faith in God. But I want to end with this. Um, 
to show you how this is actually really good, comforting, and relaxing news. Not just one more thing on your list of things you have to be better at this year. Just have more faith already. Could you pray for once this year? How about you fast once in your life? That's how you're receiving this. Don't. Have faith in God. He's saying faith is all the rootedness that you need. You know, faith, actually, the literal translation in the Greek of this passage isn't have faith in God, it's have faith of God. And this is how, uh, in the Greek, they talk about faith. It's not just faith in God, like just believe in him, it's have faith toward him, be walking towards him, it's have faith with him, it's resting your whole life in God. And when you do that, you're going to ask him for stuff. You're going to find out that he's gracious again. You're going to be undone by it, and you're going to say, oh yeah, why why couldn't I forgive? I don't remember because his grace is that big. Relax into his grace. You know, every year without fail, <laughs> every year just about without fail at the beginning of a new year, I preach some kind of sermon like this. Get in the word. Get into community. Revitalize your spiritual life. And there's some grace rubbed around the edges, I hope. Use this reading plan. How long has it been since you've been in a home meeting? What are sins that you really want to turn a new leaf in conquering this year? Let's take advantage of the best version of a New Year's resolution, and I'm not going to do that this year. Let me say, you know, these spiritual disciplines are incredibly important, and sometimes you do actually need a guide or some tools to live them out. And they're going to be there. They'll be on an email somewhere. You won't have to look too hard to find them. But there is a biblical truth that I often miss when I put that in front of you. And I want to stop missing it. Because if we miss this, nothing else works. It just doesn't work. Flourishing isn't possible. I want you to hear that those spiritual disciplines, those rhythms in your life, are like fruit that will naturally grow out of healthy roots. It can work the other way, like when you're praying some, your heart's awakened to the goodness of God, and some of your appetites for sin can constrict a little bit. It, it can work both ways, but primarily in Scripture what we see is out of the heart grows everything else, and if you just try to instill some new rhythms in your life, it's like stapling an apple on a dead tree. It does not work, and it's not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. My word to you at the beginning of this year is what I believe Jesus is giving you in this passage. I don't say add something external to your life. I say deepen something that you already have in him. What do you have? You have a God who is more committed to your growth than you are. And growth happens the deeper you are drawn into the grace of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He forgives you. He delights in you. And it's not because you're disciplined. And it's not because you're good. And God knows it's not because you're beautiful. <laughs> or your kids. Dean Ortland wrote a great book a lot of you are reading this year called Gentle and Lowly. You may not know, he wrote another book that's kind of the sequel. It came out at the end of last year. It's just called Deeper. I feel like every devotional material is called something like Deeper. I hardly hear it anymore. It's pretty nauseating. 
But this is a really good book. This is a really good book, despite the title. This is what he writes. Tell me this isn't great. Growing in Christ is not centrally improving or adding or experiencing, but deepening. Implicit in the notion of deepening is that you already have what you need. Christian growth is bringing what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are. To grow as a disciple of Christ is not adding. It's not adding to your life. It is collapsing Christ who is your life. That's true. This is and out of this fruit will spring. Life will come. It can't not. And with this rootedness, to this rootedness, I call you this year. And when you have dementia, when we all have dementia at the end of our lives, when we have no control over what we say, may the heart speak out of these deep roots, out of Christ, who is our life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.